This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. This past year was the first year that we conducted the selection academies for both the advanced and executive academies at the same time, and there's a couple of reasons that we did that. The first was that we wanted to have consistency in how we were evaluating and ranking the student applications. Uh, if we used, we we discovered in previous years when we used separate evaluation panels that we were getting a lot of variation in how the applications were being viewed. So we found uh, combining the panel makes it a lot more consistent. The second advantage is if a student is applying for the advanced academy, but that selection panel feels that they're actually probably better qualified and suited for the executive academy, they can automatically refer that application to the executive academy panel. Hi, and welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVos speaking. And this week, we are talking to Dr. Kelly Garrett, the director of the Emergency Management Institute in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And we're talking about FEMA's uh, Emergency Management Academies, the basic, the advanced, and the executive academies. And uh, if you haven't uh, heard about these, they're a really excellent opportunity to learn about the craft of emergency management. You get to interact with uh, fellow emergency managers that are learning as well. And you get to actually add to the body of work of emergency management at the end of your class. So I really think these academies are really great. We'll let Dr. Garrett get more into it, but we have the basic academy, you have the advanced academy and the executive academy, and and they are what they are. They sound exactly what they're supposed to be. Uh, You get to apply for them. Uh, It's a kind of a competitive in nature to to get in. And uh, once you uh, get into the academies, it's a really great learning experience and you get to meet people from all over the United States and the world for that matter that have gone through these academies. So I really am a proponent of these academies. Uh, I am going to be attending the Executive Academy here uh, this year, 2019. And so I'm super excited about the academies, as you can tell. Emergency management leadership, it's an important part of growing our profession. And like I always say, I want to make our profession even more professional. (laughs) So speaking about leadership, uh, put on your calendars the Emergency Management Leaders Conference uh, this May. It's from the 29th to the 30th. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. And if you've never been to Phoenix, Arizona, May is the perfect time of year to go because, man, in the summertime, it gets hot. And I'm talking like hot, hot, hot in Arizona. You know, the Sun Devils are, are called the Sun Devils for a reason. And so, yeah, come in May. It's beautiful weather. You can't you can't beat it. Uh, you get to see the beautiful desert. The sunsets in the desert are, are wonderful, and you can enjoy the uh, the rich environment of learning that will be going on with the leaders conference this May. I'm excited about the conference because Ian Weekly is super involved this year, um, and we'll we'll keep announcing this as it comes along. What we're going to be doing, uh, some of the exciting stuff that's coming up. But I'm just stoked to be to be part of this and. I hope to see you guys there. Now, on to the interview. So I am so excited to have Kelly here with me today. And, you know, uh, Kelly, welcome to EM Weekly. 
Well, thank you, Todd. It's a pleasure to be on with you this morning. So, Kelly, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in emergency management and how you got to where you are today. Um, I originally was introduced to emergency management during my military career in the Defense Support of Civil Authorities mission uh, that we had, and I, I found it was very intriguing to be a part of helping the communities respond and recover from disasters. But I didn't really get involved in the emergency management profession until I came here to the Emergency Management Institute as the director of the Emergency Management Professional Program. I came on board because my background is in learning and development, particularly in leadership development. And my doctoral studies focused on uh, performing as a chief learning officer in organizations and developing curriculum and professional development programs for large organizations. So I jumped at the opportunity to, to come here to EMI to take over the programs because I thought it was a great opportunity to combine a way to serve, the, again, the communities and help the nation recover and prepare for disasters, uh, but also follow on my first love of learning and development. That's awesome. And so with EMI, and, and one of the things that I, I think that most of us in emergency management, and I would, I would hope to say all of us, but I, I can't always say all. Um, are really excited about some of the professional development stuff that's coming out, especially with like the core academies that are here, the advanced academy, and, and then of course the executive academy that you guys are putting on, along with all the rest of the traditional training that you guys are doing and the IS courses. How do you see the education and training of emergency managers to help also professionalize our profession? That's a great question, Todd, and I think that's been the goal and was the driving factor behind establishing the academies in the first place. Uh, the Basic Academy was founded in 2011 as the Foundations Academy, uh, and it really focused on the foundations of emergency management and was designed for those who are new to the profession or have less than three years in emergency management and has really evolved now to the five courses that comprise the entire basic academy. It's 152 hours of classroom content and really does focus on the ground level of professional development experience for emergency managers. Uh, and interestingly enough, as I mentioned, the basic academy is designed for those new to the profession, but about 40% of our students that enroll in the basic academy have more than three years of experience. And some of them are fairly seasoned professionals and they use the academy as a means to continue their professional development education, to get exposure to some new tactics and techniques in the contemporary emergency management environment, and to learn from our instructors, and also to help with uh, the whole community development of emergency management, which is really so important to preparing for and responding to disasters. The, the Advanced Academy was started in 2013 and is really designed for mid-career professionals or those who may be independent operators in a, in a state, local, tribal, or territorial emergency management shop. And, and we really focus on uh, preparing those folks to manage and lead programs and to serve as members of teams and to lead teams. And it's um, four weeks, 160 hours of face-to-face -face education spread out over the course of 12 months. And then, of course, the Executive Academy is the senior level, executive level academy that's 128 hours long, and it's really focused on senior level emergency managers where we really focus on examining the policy and doctrine and why we do things the way we do in emergency management 
and what we might be able to do to help shape emergency management for the contemporary environment as we go forward. All of the students in the Executive Academy uh, grouped together to complete a group, a team capstone project, which is really focused on one of the strategic challenges that are faced by emergency managers based on the FEMA strategic plan. And we've really had a, a great deal of success in coming up with some unique and innovative suggestions on how we can improve the profession through those projects. So that's exciting stuff. I've heard of a few people I've spoken to have actually gone through a couple of the uh, advanced academies, uh, different people, and they really do enjoy the uh, the process and then also the, the connections that they're making uh, there. And I know with the advanced academy, at least from my experience from, from talking to people, they've been not just back at EMI, but they've been across the nation. So I know somebody who went to the Burbank cohort here in Los Angeles uh, area, I know a couple of people that are going to be starting the Riverside program. What's the really the, the difference in how you put together, say, the Advanced Academy where you don't have it back east? For us, it's back east, I guess. So you don't have it in, in, in EMI um, where you have it around. How, do, how does that work and how do you guys put that program on? You know, that's a, another great question, Todd. And, and the Advanced Academy is unique in that we piloted the field delivery concept two years ago. And we really started with two pilot deliveries, one in the state of Florida and the other in Virginia, just to make certain that we could field the concept and be consistent in terms of the delivery of the curriculum and that we were consistent with the instructors and how they approached delivering the program to what would be more of a state or a regional audience. Uh, and that's one of the concerns that we heard from students and moving away from only doing courses on EMI is that there wouldn't be the whole community approach with attracting students from across the nation, that it might be more secularized, for lack of a better term, because it was in a state or a particular region. But what we found is that uh, for the field deliveries, and last year we had two in the state of California hosted by FEMA Region 9. Uh, we have one every year in FEMA Region 4, and each of the states in Region 4 take turns now supporting that. And we also had another delivery in the state of Virginia. It was the second time around. So we've grown from piloting two field deliveries to four across the country. And what we found is there's a great value in those field deliveries because those are the folks that are going to work with each other very closely and will be the initial emergency managers on the ground if they are called to respond to a disaster. So while it's great to get the heterogeneous cohort of a national audience here at EMI, it's just as valuable to build a whole community with the folks that are really going to be working with each other in immediate response to disaster and will be there to set up uh, the emergency operations center and determine what needs to be done to respond to disaster. And we found that they develop really strong working relationships and really strong personal relationships during blue sky operations, which is an even greater advantage by the time an emergency comes around. Yeah, it is always good to meet people during blue sky times and, and to be able to meet those that you could be working uh, next to during a disaster for sure. So there's a selection process that, that goes on on getting into a program. So can you talk me through the person who decides, okay, I want to, I want to apply to get into one of the academies and, and what the, what the process is up to selection? Sure. Um, and actually the basic academy is still an open enrollment program. So a student can enroll in any one of the five courses to start, although we 
prefer that they start with the foundations course, but it's open enrollment. So any student that can enroll in the basic academy courses, and as long as they complete all five of the academy courses, they'll be able to graduate and receive a certificate. But as you mentioned, the advanced academy and the executive academy are competitive in nature. And I'll talk first about the advanced academy application process with the two cohorts that we host here at, at EMI each year, because they are a little different, uh, although uh, from the field deliveries, uh, although that is still a competitive process. So for the advanced academies, we usually open the application window uh, the beginning of March of each year and runs through the first week in June. So we have about a, a 90 to 120 day application window. And uh, we run that concurrently with the application window for the Executive Academy as well. And then usually in the middle of June, we have a selection panel made up primarily of our senior Academy instructors that will review all of the students' applications and they will look at things like the background in emergency management, uh, the types of training that each of the applicants has uh, conducted throughout their career, the depth and breadth of responsibilities and positions that they've held. Although that's not to say that, again, if somebody is the emergency manager for a county in Tennessee, that they would be hindered because they're in a one-person shop with a great deal of responsibility versus somebody that may be part of a, a 10 or 12 person office working in a larger state or in a major metropolitan area. We're really interested in the level of responsibility that the emergency manager has in their daily operations and the type of experience they have in responding to and managing disasters. Um, we also look to see if they've graduated from any of the other academies because it is helpful while it isn't a prerequisite to have completed any of the other academies to apply for the advanced or executive academy. It certainly is helpful, and we've seen the percentage of applicants increase over the past three years that are applying for the advanced or executive academy. Uh, so we're starting to see this continuing professional development throughout the emergency management professional program that we really envisioned when we started. And this past year was the first year that we conducted the selection academies for both the advanced and executive academies at the same time. And there's a couple of reasons that we did that. The first was that we wanted to have consistency in how we were evaluating and ranking the student applications. We discovered in previous years when we used separate evaluation panels that we were getting a lot of variation in how the applications were being viewed. So we found uh, combining the panel makes it a lot more consistent. The second advantage is if a student is applying for the advanced academy, but that selection panel feels that they're actually probably better qualified and suited for the executive academy, they can automatically refer that application to the executive academy panel. Mm -hmm. Or likewise, if someone is applying to the executive academy, but it appears that they would be better suited to go to the advanced academy first, we can cross-reference and refer those to that selection panel as well. And that actually happened a couple of times this year. Um, we use a similar process with the field deliveries working through the FEMA regions or the states, except there then the training staff in the FEMA region or the state training officer or state exercise director really reviews the applications and, and has the final authority, although we do share with them the process that we use with our selection panels here. And there have been sometimes based on the number of applicants that we've received for the on-campus deliveries, 
that will refer someone to a regional or state cohort uh, simply because they're competitive, but we only accept 90 students a year for the Advanced Academy here on campus. So if we have some highly qualified candidates that may be slightly ranked uh, below the 90 that we've selected for the on-campus, we can still get them into a field delivery. Um, so again, we're taking a holistic look of all of the applicants and making certain that we get the best qualified in any given year into the appropriate course for them. How many people apply um, each year uh, for an academy slot? That's a really great question as well. And uh, three years ago, when I first got here, we had uh, 65 applications for the two cohorts here on campus. And we had hoped to have a minimum of 35 students per cohort. So obviously, with only 65 applications, everybody that applied got accepted. But we've more than doubled those applications each year. Um, two years ago, we had 113 applications. Last year, we had 130. And this year, we ended up with 144 applicants for 90 slots in the Advanced Academy cohorts here at EMI. So it's gotten much more competitive. And we've got more than double the number of applicants that we had just three years ago. Uh, with the field deliveries, we've gone from those two pilot deliveries in Florida and Virginia that I talked about two years ago to now four field deliveries. And um, actually, about 70% of our graduates from the academy now come from those field deliveries. We had 142 students graduate from four field deliveries last year, and we had uh, 90 student, 91 students graduate on campus for a total of 233 graduates this past year, which was the largest number of graduates we've ever experienced in one year. Hmm. That's amazing. So it's great to see this thing moving forward. You know, one of the things that I talk about, and I haven't been shy about it, and I actually, when we had Administrator Long on the show, we kind of talked about it there as well, is the idea of, uh, of making a, a standard for an emergency manager. And basically what I'm saying here is like, you, I read an article in uh, one of the online police magazines, and it basically said, hey, you too could become an emergency manager after you retire. Just go online, take a couple of IS classes, and you can hang your shingle as an EM. And my personal opinion is I think that does a big disservice to the, the residents and the citizens um, that you're serving. And I love the fact that we're doing more with FEMA uh, with the professionalizing of emergency management through our training. What do you think of using something like the training that you get at FEMA as being the base of, say, a credentialing system in states? We've had a lot of discussions about that. Um, and I, I, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge that there are, uh, most states have their own credentialing program right now, and the majority of them are very good. A, a number of those states that do have state credentialing programs are actually using the academies as a basis for that. For instance, the state of Tennessee uses the basic academy for their credentialing program. California actually uses the advanced academy as the credentialing program for their, their tier two emergency managers. So we're starting to see more states adopt the academies as part of their state credentialing program anyway. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to work as closely with state partners as we can to make that a reasonable program for them to assimilate with, within their state programs. And while most people seem to think that the federal government can require uh, certain things, uh, 
that's not really part of our function and, and how we work. So we're not going to tell states, you've got to do this. We really need to look at it from a collaborative standpoint and say, could we partner and be a willing partner to help you achieve your goals? And that's the approach we've tried to take with the academies. Um, so we're, our long-term goal is to really focus on the next generation core competencies desired by emergency management professionals. And we focus on helping to develop those competencies throughout all three of the academies and make certain that the curriculum and the content is consistent with the requirements that an emergency manager anywhere in any state, uh, territory, or tribe across the country would value in their professional development. That's so true. And, and yeah, I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to say that we should have a top down for the federal government to say, to mandate to any states what they have to do. I'm definitely not saying that. I just wanted to trying to bring the idea of, of a, of at least a standard of meet the minimum standard of something. And, you know, that was one of the questions that we had at the state conference here in California last month. And it would have been, or I should say in, uh, in October because we were talking about where our standards should go. And I think there's a lot of good conversation amongst the emergency management community regarding that. And I think we all see a need for some sort of standard education because we are really all over the board right now. I was talking to uh, a state director of emergency management and she was retiring. Uh, I don't want to say what state. And so somebody asked her, oh, what are you you know, going to do now that you're retired? And she she says, I'm going to become a police chief. You know, we all kind of laughed. And, and, her, <laughs> and her point is so many police chiefs retire and become, try to become emergency managers. And just, I don't think the it works that way or should work that way at least. But Yeah, exactly. So we have TEKS and we got uh, CDP and EMI and a couple programs like that that are out there. Are you guys all working together uh, on, I mean, I know that FEMA does have some training programs with TEKS and do you guys work together in creating a good curriculum for emergency managers or does everybody sort of do their own thing? It seems at this point, Todd, that everybody sort of does their own thing, but there's different uh, roles that each organization plays within the consortium of partners that FEMA has developed um, and the TEKS program and, and uh, CHDS and a few others are are supported by FEMA and and I think they've got certain roles that they play within the professional development and national training and education system. But the academies are are sponsored by FEMA and are based here at the Emergency Management Institute. And our our goal is to become the school of continuing and professional studies for the emergency management profession and either supplement what the other partners are doing or hopefully they can supplement what we're doing. We haven't to this point really formed close collaborative partnerships with the emergency management professional program and any of the other partners. But that's not to say that if there's a value in doing that, that we wouldn't explore that going forward. Yeah, that's great. Um, because I mean, like I know that when we take courses through the other programs, we're using our, our, our FEMA ID uh, to register with them. And I think that's kind of cool because that way at least there's one place that we're, we're tracking uh, what education and training that we're doing. But it's also nice to know that you guys are at least talking to each other about programs and, and stuff like that regarding at least the delivery styles and stuff like this. Uh, I actually got to take one of the uh, train the trainer programs for ICS 300 and 400 and put a few classes on here. Uh, and uh, I thought the delivery system that was created was really 
really well done. But I know that people are talking about like revamping some of those programs, basically just updating the curriculum, I suppose. How does that work with you guys? Who, who decides to go, hey, we're going to take a look at uh, a class, say ICS 100, for instance, and we're going to take a look at it, see if it's still working and, and make it work. How, how do you guys go through that process? We're going to take a quick break right now to listen to a couple of words from our sponsors. And just thinking about this, we're, we're talking about leadership and being better emergency managers here with Kelly Garrett and the EMI staff up in Maryland. And this May, May 29th to the 30th, in Arizona at the Grand Hotel in uh, Phoenix, we are going to be up there at the Emergency Management Leadership Conference. And, you know, this is a really exciting thing. Second year they've been doing it. They're uh, partnering up with NEMA and IEM. They are out there doing it and bringing in great speakers, great panels, and we're going to be there live and broadcasting live from from that uh, wonderful event. So I'd love to see you guys out there. Stop on over, say hi to us, come on the show maybe. Love to see you at the EMLC in Arizona on May 29th through the 30th. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we connect people with the latest technology possible, whether it's mesh networking, augmented reality, or real-time translation, allowing people who need help to find help immediately. Better matters because lives matter. Now back to the interview. But I know that people are talking about like revamping some of those programs, basically just updating the curriculum, I suppose. How does that work with you guys? Who, who decides to go, hey, we're going to take a look at uh, a class, say ICS 100, for instance, and we're going to take a look at it, see if it's still working and, and make it work. How, how do you guys go through that process? Well, I can speak specifically to what we do in the academies. Yes. And I'm sure it's a similar process with uh, some of the other courses. And I, I know that uh, through the NIMS rewrite and the establishment of the new ESC framework that my peers in the preparedness branch have just gone through rewrites of a number of those um, independent study courses and also the classroom courses. But, but in the academies, we get feedback from the students by taking uh, Kirkpatrick Level 1 and Level 3 evaluations. Uh, after each course, we get a Level 1 evaluation. And about six months after they complete the course and graduate from the academy, we get the Level 3 so that we can see if they actually were able to apply anything that they've learned and if they feel they've added value to their organization. Uh, the Level 1s really focus on the content and the instruction. And while I mentioned that we really focus on trying to help inculcate the next generation core competencies for emergency managers throughout the curriculum. We also want to make certain that the content in the curriculum reflects the current contemporary emergency management environment. And while we may use case studies of disasters that happened within the past decade or so, like Katrina or the Boston Marathon bombing or Deepwater Horizon or those types of studies, because there is value in that, we still try to facilitate learning among the students and how they've experienced recent disasters for which they've responded and how they've been able to apply some of the techniques that we talk about in class so that it's really current and relevant and the students don't feel that this is really just an emergency management history course right. and we're looking at what happened in the past other than to take the lessons learned and what can we do to apply those lessons in the future to help us better prepare for and respond to 
disasters, which is directly in line with Administrator Long's uh, strategic objective of uh, preparing the the nation to better respond to disasters. I'm I'm glad that's going on because I really think that uh, ongoing curriculum development is is really important for everybody. You know, out there, even including the instructors. You know, it starts to get stale a little bit for them, and and it becomes the same old thing. So speaking of instructors, how do you guys choose who becomes an instructor over at the academies? We've got a, a process at, at EMI that is really driven from an overall process that was developed by the National Training and Education Division on selecting instructors. Um, the first is we look for some an individual that has a background in facilitating adult education. And I mention it that way specifically because I believe there's a big difference between somebody that can put on training by talking to a bunch of PowerPoint slides <laughs> versus somebody that can facilitate adult education. And I know you're an educator, so you understand the distinction there. And and it really isn't about, at least for us in the academies, it isn't really about necessarily what is on the slide that we're putting out to the students, but what that content can trigger in terms of learning from each other in classroom discussions and facilitating um, the opportunity for the students to achieve the overall learning objectives of the course. So understanding adult learning and how to facilitate adult learning in a classroom environment is very important. Obviously having the, the appropriate background in the subject matter content that the instructor wants to teach in the academy is important. Mm -hmm. And then we, we go through a process where we uh, we review a resume, we do uh, an in-person interview with a selection panel with the instructor, and we also uh, ask for some references and do some reference checks so that we can get a very clear, uh, rounded picture of the qualifications of a potential instructor. And once we've gone through that process, then we, uh, we score the overall rating of the instructor against the standard. And if they meet or exceed the standard, then we extend an offer to them to become um, an instructor, either with any EMI course or within the academies. Uh, the basic uh, and advanced and executive academies are a little different from the typical course at EMI in that we also uh, reach out to uh, contracting partners to provide us with qualified instructors simply because of the scope of the programs and as our, the number of field deliveries have grown. Uh, we want to make certain that we have an adequate pool of instructors with the uh, requisite credentials to be able to instruct. But we still go through the same process. It's just then we may refer them to the instructor to do, or I'm sorry, the contractor, to do another level of vetting to make certain that we're getting uh, the most highly qualified instructors available for the academies. And more and more, we are looking to get academy alumni involved as instructors because they've been through the academy. They know what we're trying to accomplish and the value of the education and learning that comes from from the cohorts of the academies. So we find that they fit in really well in being able to do that as an instructor. Yeah, that's really important. I think that when people understand that when you have an instructor up there, it's not just somebody who they just, you know, plucked out of an office and said, hey, you're teaching this class today, um, that you guys go through that process and really pick quality instructors. I've taken a few of the classes and the people who taught my classes have been great and had vast experience from all over the nation. And it's really great to meet. Like we had people from um, New York City, NYPD come and teach a class. And it was unbelievable to really have connections with 
the people who actually responded to some of the larger incidents and, and learn from them. And I think it's really great to see emergency managers teach other emergency managers. Um, and I think that's exciting stuff right there, especially Absolutely. learning. Yeah, especially learning from each other this way. It's, it's a really, it's fun, you know, and then you get to have that connection and get to call them if, if you have any other questions. It's a really great um, collaborative uh, network that we created here through those courses. So, And I think it also lends credibility to the program if we're bringing those types of quality instructors in as well, Todd. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. So when you decide that you're going to go to the academy and you get accepted, what's it like? What's it like to be in that, in that classroom? Well, let's talk about EMI, not the, not the remote academies or the okay. field academies. What's it like to be in that classroom? So you, you fly into to wherever you fly into, you get to, the, you get to EMI, and then, and then what's it like? What's the, what's the experience like? Typically, um, regardless of where a student flies into, whether wherever they are in the country, and some of the local students will drive here, but they'll stay on campus. We provide lodging here on campus at no cost to the students. And we start with the initial introduction of the class at eight o'clock on Monday morning. And in the academies, we typically start not only with the introduction of the course manager or the program manager who's responsible for that particular academy, um, our superintendent or deputy superintendent typically comes by and welcomes the students to EMI and provides a brief background on the FEMA strategic plan and its relevance to the academies in particular. Then we have the the normal administrative type details. But then the next couple of hours in the morning are spent with student introductions and the students actually getting to know each other a little bit better. We'll provide some information before the students get here on who's in the class and, and the class roster. But this is the first time that we provide students the opportunity to really start forming as a cohort or to start to really develop those relationships by introducing themselves, uh, talking briefly about their careers, and, and just having the opportunity to break the ice a little bit so that we know who's in the class and where they're from and if there are similar backgrounds or if there's somebody that uh, another, another classmate may have heard of by reputation but never had the opportunity to meet. So on a break, they can seek them out and, and start to engage in conversation. And then depending on the academy, it, we really start with the introduction to here are the competencies that we're going to focus on during this week of the instruction. Uh, but we try to also have themes in each week of each of the academies or each course uh, for instance, the basic academy starts with the foundations course, which is the first two weeks. The The third week focuses on uh, science for disasters and planning and emergency management operations. Then the final week we have, uh, we actually replaced the exercise design course with the Homeland Security exercise program so that we've got HCP included in the basic academy now. Oh, cool. And then we finish up with public information and morning. So those are the five courses that we focus on in the basic academy. In the advanced academy, each week has a different theme. We start with focusing on individual, assessing individual style in emergency management as an individual performer and focusing uh, on being individually competent and being a team member. The second week focuses on leading teams and leading projects as an emergency manager. Week number three focuses on leading organizations. And then week number four focuses on leading in the profession as an emergency manager. 
Uh, so for those advanced academy students then that apply and go on to the executive academy, they're, they really understand that we're going to take a, a doctrinal and policy look and a strategic look at emergency management. And the first week of the executive academy starts with examining emergency management policy and doctrine. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, why do we do what we do and what is it that we could look at uh, changing based on the lessons we've learned from the contemporary environment? Then the second week of the Executive Academy, we focus on leading complex systems because I think all of us would agree that being an emergency manager is dealing with complex systems uh, and it is a system of systems and we need to understand how those systems all fit together and how we can lead or influence. So that's the second week of the Executive Academy. Then the third week focuses on interpreting the contemporary emergency management environment by looking at uh, sociocultural considerations, geographic considerations, environmental considerations, and also the application of technology and risk management. And then the final week of the Executive Academy focuses on creating the emergency management stakeholder community. So how do we tie all of this together and create a community of professionals that can support each other in preparing for and responding to disasters across the nation. That's some really good stuff right there for sure. Okay. So if somebody was really interested in getting involved um, in the academies, either going to them or, or, or just learn more about it, how can they find you guys? Uh, the best place to start is on, is on our website, which is training.fema.gov. Uh, so that's the landing page for our training programs here at the Emergency Management Institute. Um, and then across the top drop-down menu is an option to select the Emergency Management Professional Program, and that will take the person to the landing page for the Emergency Management Professional Program. So it will show a brief explanation of all three academies, and by selecting the link for each of the academies can get greater detail on the courses, the weekly themes that I just talked about, uh, the topics that are covered, how to apply, uh, how to contact the EMI admissions office, because really the admissions office helps with the application process. And we've also recently added a link to the International Association of Emergency Managers Educational Crosswalk that IAEM Certification Committee did with the three academies because we're now closely aligned with the AEM-CEM, a certification and recertification process. Oh, awesome. So, so while we can't guarantee a student that when they graduate from the academies, they will be a certified emergency manager or be able to recertify, there is an educational crosswalk that demonstrates how the academies can get somebody 80% of the way to achieving that professional designation. The academic papers that the advanced academy students write count as a contribution to the profession. In the other category and the capstone projects completed by the students in the executive academy also count as a contribution to the profession in the other category. So we're starting to see more and more people, Todd, that have graduated from multiple academies, both the basic and advanced or advanced and executive academy. And we actually have about 12 people across the country that have completed all three academies. Oh, wow. But the basic academy counts as 152 hours of training credit for the AEM-CEM. The advanced academy is 140 hours plus the paper. And the executive academy is 120 hours plus the capstone project. So initial certification is 200 hours. So again, we can get the student 70 or 80% of the way there uh, toward accomplishing those goals. 
for achieving the CEM. And for recertification, we've even had some of our instructors that have accomplished their recertification by completing the academy because I think it's after five years is the first recertification period, and that requires 80 hours of training between emergency management specific and general leadership. And and we've got that built into the curriculum of all the academies. So uh, we're really proud of the fact that we were able to partner with IAEM to get that uh, accomplished. And that's something that we're going to continue to promote throughout the next year. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that is really good. We were talking about that as well, about continued education. And I think it's important that emergency managers do continue to learn. And I think through IEM, their, their standards uh, really puts you there. So thank you for, for that. So here comes the, the toughest question of the day. What book, books, or publication do you recommend to somebody in emergency management? Actually, uh, I think that's a great question. And if I could, there's a couple of ways I'd like to answer that. The first is we've developed an emergency management professional program recommended professional reading list this year that we're in the process of getting posted on our website. And we want to start to share it with the academy students as they come in for the, the fiscal year 2019 academic year. It encompasses 16 titles that we've identified that could be the foundation for professional development and reading. Uh, and it includes titles like Raven Rock, uh, Ted Koppel's book, Lights Out, about a cyber attack on the nation and how that would affect our infrastructure. Disaster Preparedness in New York City, because you mentioned New York City and the way they've responded to disasters in the past. So we've got and he sent that book, Disaster Preparedness, New York City, an essential guide to uh, communication, first aid, and evacuation after the worst happens. Um, then we have a couple leadership books, uh, Leadership in the Open, A New Paradigm in Emergency Management by Adam Crow, that I think would be a, a good read. And we also have uh, a book called Leadership Dispatches on the list. It was Chile's Extraordinary Comeback from Disaster, and it was written by Michael Yusim, who is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. But what I found was really interesting of that is uh, one of our most recent Executive Academy graduates is was actually involved with the disaster response as a member, as an admiral in the Chilean Navy, and he graduated from all three of our academies within the past two years. And his intent is to take the lessons he's learned here back to Chile and actually the rest of Latin America to try to replicate the professional development programs that we've got here with the emergency management That's preparedness cool. program. Uh, the second part is my one of the books that I would recommend. I read this during um, my master's degree studies, and I found that it was a, a, a significant change in my life. It's a book called Now Discover Your Strengths by Marcus Buckingham. And the focus of the book is how to understand what the core strengths of everyone as an individual might be. And there are 34 common themes that are identified. And by reading this book, and if you buy the book, you also get a link to an online survey that helps you identify your five key core themes out of those 34 so that you can really understand how you really function as a professional. And I think it's important for organizations to really focus on deploying team members according to their strengths and not necessarily hold weaknesses against them because we all have strengths that are, are really strong. So a good team tries to employ everyone to their greatest strengths. And that really helped me understand what my core strengths were. I suspected it, but I didn't really know it. Mm -hmm. But 
that's that book has really helped me understand how to how to influence outcomes in a in a collaborative team environment uh unlike i was able to do before then that's a really great recommendation because at the end of the day an emergency management is a team there's no I mean, I should say there's no, I guess maybe there's somebody out there, but I don't know them that can run a complete disaster by themselves. And so knowing your strengths and knowing your team strengths, I think is very important. So thank you for that recommendation. So is there anything that you'd like to say to the emergency manager out there before we let you go? I'd really like to thank everyone that has shown an interest in and participated in and graduated from our academies in the emergency management professional program. Really want to thank the state training officers and exercise planners that have reached out to make the academies part of their professional development and training for the emergency managers in their states. I mean, we've piloted some alternative delivery methods in some states that may have large volunteer populations among their emergency managers or uh, states that have remote small emergency management stops uh, shops. So. Uh, for instance, in the state of New Jersey, we piloted a weekday program. Rather than going for full weeks, New Jersey puts on two days a week for a series of weeks to complete the academy. In Kansas, uh, we piloted weekend deliveries. And in the, the state of Iowa, we actually, Iowa partnered with Des Moines Area Community College to do a blended approach. So part of it was facilitated online and part of it was in the classroom. So we're trying to expand those opportunities as we go forward so that we're able to reach a much greater audience. So I guess my closing message would be, if you are interested in developing yourself as an emergency management professional and preparing yourself to be better at your job and to further your career, we likely have the opportunity to be able to do that among the three academies in the emergency management professional program. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for spending some time here today with Ian Weekly, and it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, Todd. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I had a great time.